I am he. Ah, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to those in the East and the West, everybody online. Hello, my name is Thomas. It's nice to meet you, but you're not here to meet here. Meet me. You are here to meet. Jesus, which is the name of our current series. In our series, Meet Jesus, we're learning about Jesus's life through eyewitnesses accounts in the Bible, like Jesus's friends from the Bible, but then also as artistically expressed to the popular TV show, The Chosen, which you just saw clips from. So this show is great. It attempts to stay true to the biblical and historical context, and at the same time, adding creative backstories to various characters to help us understand how real it was. Um, but before we get started, I would love to share a story with you. Recently, I was doing some online banking, making sure some stuff was in order, and I discovered one morning that a, like hundreds of dollars went missing from my bank account. And I panicked a little bit. I'm like, okay, hold on. Uh, I'm not gonna freak out, but I need to go make sure my automatic payments are correct. Uh, I gotta make sure that my credit cards connected to my bank account haven't been hijacked by somebody. But I'm not gonna jump to any conclusions. I'm gonna do my due diligence and I was going over the numbers, I'm pretty particular, and at the end of it all, I was like, the money lines up. So how is there hundreds of dollars missing? And everything was confusing to me. Where did my money go? I don't see any money that's supposed to be gone. I was panicking, but after some research, I was able to resolve the issue. And I didn't have to call my bank or cancel my credit card because I realized what had happened. And it was the same thing that this little boy realized while playing the popular board game, Monopoly. What's been, where's all your money gone, Donnie? Taxes. Six, nine, 10, 11. Let me fix my houses. But it's okay. It's part of the game. No, it's not. It's it not is. fun. To... It's not fun to what? <laughs> it's the worst part of the game. Of is what? Taxes. Yeah. Awful. So this poor little guy realized his money was gone because of taxes, and it's the worst part of the game. And my money was missing for the same reason. I forgot to account for the fact that I requested to have money taken out of my paycheck so Uncle Sam could make sure we have schools and roads and things of that nature. And I get it, most of the time, our money goes to stuff that's helpful and good, but it still feels like something's being stolen from us, right? Like you look at your paycheck and like, oh, like that 20, 30%, whatever you got going on, it's just gone. And um, no one likes when the tax man shows up. And it was the same in Jesus' day. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. This is what happens. <clears throat> As Jesus went on from there, 
he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So for us, you know, Jesus saying, come and follow me, this doesn't seem out of the ordinary. We know that Jesus calls regular folk from their regular jobs to follow after God, but we'll see soon that this was actually pretty unexpected and scandalous because Jesus called a tax collector, and tax collectors were hated in Jesus' day. Now, not, no one likes to pay taxes. We've been through that. It's the worst part of the game, but even more so, the Jews living at Jesus' time hated taxes, and for really good reason. You see, in Jesus' day, the Jews were under Roman military occupation. There were literally Roman soldiers in these leather and red garb walking the streets, controlling everything. And when Jewish money was collected, it went to fund the Roman government that was currently oppressing the people. And people like Matthew, who worked in the tax collector's booth, were not Roman. They were usually Jewish men who agreed to work with the oppressive regime, taking money away from their fellow countrymen. So the tax collectors were traitors working with the enemy to take away local money from their own people. And what's worse, after these tax collectors paid off their debt to the Roman military, they got to keep any extra money they collected, and they collected a lot. So at the expense of their own people, Jewish tax collectors got super rich by working for their enemy, the Roman army. Tax collectors were traitors working for the enemy and getting rich doing so, hated by their own people. So let's turn our attention to the screen and meet one of these tax collectors by the name of Matthew. Pardon me, Mr. Publicanus. It's me that don't want to be seen with you, remember? It's Publicanus. I like it the other way, tax man. Hey, hey, hey! It's a month's salary for all my sons combined right there. You just toss them out? These are my property. I do with them as I wish. I pay you to drive. You sift through trash on your own time. Driving you's a bit of both now, isn't it? <laughs> if any citizen asks about my cargo, I must tell the truth. <laughs> it's... The biggest pile of dung in all Capernaum. 
So Matthew is viewed as the biggest pile of dung in all the city. Like, he is all the best stuff. He has a sandal collection. He has a gold door. He has slaves and servants working in his home. He has the nicest cologne. He has the nicest clothes. He's got the best stuff, but considered the biggest pile of dung and is afraid to hang out in his own neighborhood. So why would Matthew do this? Why would he commit like just social suicide? Why would he get to the point where he'd be willing to live this way? Well, maybe he was just greedy, right? Uh, we always have greedy people in the world. Uh, maybe he struggled with the sin of loving money. Maybe he saw an opportunity to improve his life. Like Matthew was smart and good with numbers, and maybe he saw this opportunity to make his life better, even though the Roman army was making life miserable for the local people. Maybe he started off with good intentions and he wanted to help out his own people, but eventually he just got greedy. But we do know this, the power went to Matthew's head and he got greedy. And this actually reminds me of an event that took place at my university, Lincoln Christian University, about 15 years ago when I was attending there. And I lived on a floor with a bunch of really fun dudes. There was about 30 of us. We were very dorky. And we had these special floor holiday events. So in the middle of our holiday, or excuse me, in the middle of our floor, um, we had this calendar up. And it had all these fun events that were going to be coming up for the semester. And we would do random things. Again, we were very dorky. But uh, we had one day called Hot Lava Day where every piece of concrete on campus was considered hot lava, and if you stepped in it, you lost the game and you died. So we were finding creative ways to get across campus. So like we would like jump from bench to bench or swing from tree branches to get to class, or if a class was just too difficult to get to, like the sidewalk was too long, we just wouldn't go to that class. We were really committed to the game. And uh, we had on our campus these huge sidewalks. They were like double wides, and they went from about right here to, I would say, about right here, which isn't small, in front of dorky guys who aren't very athletic. That was quite a leap. And uh, we would run across campus and try to jump across those to stay in the game. And my buddy Kyle actually jumped across and slipped and fell and dislocated his shoulder. And so he's rolling around the ground. I actually showed up when the ambulance came, and it's really funny to explain why all these things are happening. <laughs> But a lot of fun. Another fun holiday that we had was King Doug Day. So I had a friend named Doug, and he lived a few doors down from me, and they said, today is King Doug Day. And I was like, what does that mean? Because I didn't check the calendar. I always just played the games when they came up. And it said, Doug is king. He's going to wear a crown. We have to do everything he says all day long. Like, that sounds like fun. Doug's a cool guy. So the other thing was that Doug was tiny. So at freshman year, Doug weighed about 90 pounds, and we took a folding chair and collapsed it flat and put it on our shoulders, and four people during the day made a platform for Doug so he could sit crisscross applesauce up here, and we would rock him around like in a royal like procession on a platform, and he would demand things from us. And again, we're really dorky. I know some of you are thinking my college experience was way different than that, but I wasn't that cool, y'all. But anyway, I was excited to see that for the next day, Coming up, there was another holiday, and it said Thomas the Dictator Day, and people let me know about it. We actually called it Tommy Dictator Day. In college, people called me Tommy. 
And I went to my buddy John. He usually would tell me what was going on. I'm like, John, I heard there's a holiday for me on the calendar. What does it mean? He said, well, Thomas, Dictator Day. Thomas, similar to Doug's day, we have to do everything you say. And I got excited because I saw what Doug got to do. Literally anything he asked for happened. And I was like, cool. I get a day just like Doug where I get to control everything. This is going to be so much fun. But the power went to my head. So I went around campus demanding silly things frequently. It was stupid. Like, I would see a group of my friends on campus. It obviously only worked for the dorky guys from my door, like, dorm. Like, if I saw, like, other people on campus and told them, they'd be like, what are you talking about? But if I saw the guys from my door, I'd be like, hey, you group, do jumping jacks. And they'd be like, sir, yes, sir. And, like, they would do jumping jacks all awkwardly in the quad until I told them to stop or I'd take you guys and say, you two, race to the other side of campus and come back and find me. And so they'd say, yes, sir. And they'd take off running and I would just leave. So they have to like, you know, find where I was. Or it's, I would get lazy, like through the day I got lazy and I was like, why don't you go to the cafeteria and get me food? And they'd be like, sir, yes, sir. And they'd run to the cafeteria, bring me a spread of food. Or I'd come to a sidewalk and I'd say, carry me over this sidewalk for it is lava. And they say, yes, sir. And like all these silly things. So just all day long, I'm having a really good time. And I'm sure people walking around campus were like, what are these guys doing? This is weird. And it was weird. We were dorky, we thought we were cool, but it was a lot of fun, had a good time, and I was having a great time being ridiculous, demanding things, being in charge, and uh, again, the power really went to my head. And I failed to see, I mentioned earlier that I didn't really check the calendar, I failed to see that the next day for me on that calendar was military coup day. Yeah, a coup, C-O-U, silent P. This is a sudden, violent, unlawful seizure of power from a government or a dictator. So I woke up the next morning to a large boom on the door, and one of the RAs, like the people who were supposed to watch the floor, unlocked my door, and all my friends came in, screaming and yelling and shouting, pinning me to my twin-size mattress. They tied me up, and they were screaming, Thomas's dictatorship is over, and I was waking up like, what is going on? We actually have photographic evidence, but the, <laughs> the other staff are like, there's too much skin in these photos for you to like, like let these... So I, here I am shackled in my bed and like, what's going on? And they said, you should have checked the calendar. It was all a ruse because I forgot to check the calendar. They did this to me. And it was on the calendar the whole time. I could have avoided this suffering. But anyway, that was my pain. The power had gone to my head. It backfired. And my own people turned on me. The power went to Matthew, the tax collector's head. It backfired. He became greedy. And his own people turned on him. See, Matthew became corrupted, and this hurt his own people. He was siding with the Roman enemy to make money oppressing his own people. He's not a liked guy. And in the end, we don't know the reason why Matthew decided to take on this position, the greed or the opportunity. We don't know. But we do know somehow that the love of money got involved and his own people rejected him for teaming up with the Roman army. His reputation is so bad that even his own family rejected him. In this next scene, we see Matthew go to visit his parents' house. His mom is home, his dad's on a work trip, but he's not welcome there. He can't even call his mother Ima, which is their word for mom. He can't refer to his dad as Abba, their word for father. Instead, he has to call them by first names. Alpheus 
and Elisheva. Also, by this point in the Chosen TV series, Matthew has seen Jesus' teachings and miracles, and he's trying to make sense of all the impossible things he is seeing. Now we follow Matthew, lost and confused, trying to find comfort from his mother who has rejected him. Hello, Ima, or, or uh, Elisheva, I mean. Hello. Thank you. I don't receive visitors myself. Is this a custom? If your father were here, I couldn't do this. Where is Alpheus? I think a dog followed you. He's with me. He'll stay out here if you let me in. Ralphius be home soon. He's away. On a work trip. Where will work take him? Does he no longer make leather goods? His shop was robbed. Many of the shops have been. Crime is rampant, makes it very difficult to reopen. He loved his shop. But we still have a roof over our heads, which is more than some people can say. You can ask me for money if you ever need it. How can you say that? It's quite common. I've seen many parents entirely dependent on... Your father would sooner die than take your blood money. I know you are ashamed of me. But your decision is irrational. Rome will continue to collect taxes no matter what. I'm skilled with numbers. Did you come here to justify yourself? No! no. Everything's like sand in a flood. The things I thought I knew to be true. Are you in trouble? Do you think that impossible things can happen? That overturn the laws of nature? That cannot be explained? That is what people asked when you were a boy. Even the rabbis were astonished at your talent for reading, math, the way you could think faster than any other child. They thought you would be someone great. Great at what? I'm rich. I have an armed escort. I'm trusted by the Praetor of we Galilee. We never dreamed you would use the talent God gave you to bleed your people dry. But have you ever seen anything miraculous? Like you. My whole world. Everything I thought I knew. What if it's wrong? I think you should go. So, Matthew's rejected by everyone. See, the Romans have rejected him. He's still a Jew. They're just using him to get money because he knows the culture and he knows the people. The Jews themselves, they have outcasted Matthew. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, have seen him as a chief of sinners, a great enemy to their nation. 
and his own family have rejected him. Everyone has rejected Matthew. He's caused so much pain in the community that he's no longer accepted. Um, But there's good news for Matthew. Because regardless of what other people do, there's one person who has not rejected him, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus invites Matthew to follow him. Take a look at this next scene. You see the Parthian foot races last night? Darius ran like a gazelle. Jews don't go to foot races. Your old friend Simon himself used to run the wagering tables. We're not friends. Next. Okay, fine. So you did not go to the races. You stay home? I went to see my mother. Ugh, that would put me out, too. She asked when you're going to give her grandchildren? She didn't ask. I thought your parents don't speak to you. I had questions I couldn't ask anyone else. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. 
You're the host. It's pretty cool. So Jesus calls out the worst sinner, the most hated person, and says, follow me. And he says, let's go have a party so more sinners can come over to your house. The people that the world views as bad people. Let's have a party for them. And there's a cool thing, a few cool things that happen in that scene. Uh, one, obviously, Matthew gives up his key to his tax collecting booth where he's getting, getting all his money. He gives up his signet ring, which is a ring that signified power and protection to the Romans. So he's lost his power, he's lost his protection, and he takes up a tablet. And what's really awesome is that this is the same Matthew that would end up writing the Matthew Gospel. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he would write the book of Matthew. Jesus picked the worst person, the greatest sinner, and said, that's who I want. It's really awesome. Let's go back to Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. Read it again. And Jesus went from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. See, we see now how radical this was given Matthew's occupation. He was rejected by everyone, but not Jesus. Which brings us to an important and big idea. Jesus accepts sinners like Matthew. Right? He accepts sinners like me and Matthew. He accepts sinners like you and Matthew. Jesus accepts sinners. And our sin is not the thing that keeps us away from God. See, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what is your sin struggle? Where do you fall short? Is it greed or the love of money like Matthew? Is it pride? Do you view yourself as better than other people? Is it hating others? Jesus said that hating other people was like murdering them with your heart. Do you struggle with lying or gossiping lips? Like, do you slander people? Do you talk about them behind their backs? Do you say things that aren't true? Do you covet? Do you covet? Coveting means to desire something in a sinful way, wanting what other people have in a sinful way. Do you want their money? Do you want their job? Do you want their wife? Do you want their life? Do you want any of that? And it's not what God's given you. That's the sin of coveting. And these are all sins that God hates. But these sins do not disqualify people from God's love. Because in the very next verse of Romans 3, it says... All are justified freely. No price to us. It's a high price, but no price to us. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, Jesus paid the full price so we can be justified freely. And meeting Jesus changes everything. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It'll be on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. You see, as a new creation reconciled in Jesus, our old list of sins, greed or pride or lust or lying or whatever, they no longer have to be a part of our identity. 
So what do new creations in Jesus do? Let's look on to verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. What do sinners saved by grace do? Well, just like Matthew, they welcome other sinners into their lives and into their homes so more people can know Jesus. Goes back to our main big idea. Jesus accepts sinners like Matthew, me and you, and he expects his followers to do the same. Jesus accepts sinners like Matthew and he expects us to do the same. Now, this doesn't mean that we accept sin. We, we don't wanna see people shackled to those sins of pride or lust or lying or gossip, whatever it may be. We want, to meet, we want other people to meet Jesus because that's the only way they can be freed from those shackles and debts. But as we read on, we can see that not everyone agrees with Jesus' accepting teachings and behavior. Verse 11, when the Pharisees, now the Pharisees, they're the highest religious leaders in the area, and they're Jewish, but they don't fully understand Jesus' mission or message of acceptance. They don't get it. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees, the most religious people, were not willing to accept sinners into their lives and homes, which was exactly what Jesus wanted of them. And ironically, the Pharisees viewed themselves as righteous. They were self-righteous, and they were blind to the fact that they were sinners too. And in verse 13, Jesus does something brilliant. He quotes their Old Testament prophet, Hosea. So he, they know this Old Testament book, the religious leaders. It's from chapter six of Hosea. And Jesus says, learn what this means. I desire mercy from you, not sacrifice. See, Jesus was telling these religious men that they care more about sacrifices and religious practice, looking good on the outside, than they actually cared about other human beings. They had no mercy for them, only judgment. See, this brings us back to that important and main point. Jesus accepts sinners like Matthew and me, and he expects his followers to do the same. Matthew was accepted, I was accepted, you were accepted, all sinners accepted, because we're all in the same boat. We said that earlier. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next verse, though, but Jesus freely gives redemption. It's not based on what we do or can't do. That's missing the point of the gospel. That's actually what makes Christianity different than every other religion. Every other major world religion says you either have to appease God by working harder or you have to become more enlightened to figure it out internally in such a way where you are right with the divine. That's not Christian, either of those ideas. If you believe you can get better and prove to God that you're worthy or good enough, you've missed the point. The reality is, is we can't do it. 
We cannot live sinlessly. We cannot live without failure, but Jesus did on our behalf. See, that's why when Jesus died on the cross, when he died and took on the consequences of our sin, it meant something, because he took it away from me and he took it away from you. That's the gospel. We can't do it, God did it for us because he's a good heavenly father who loves us. A good parent will pick their child up and care for them even when they're making mistakes and that's what our heavenly father does. And I get it, I get it. Some of you have had terrible things happen to you. We live in a broken and sinful world. Also, I know many of you are sitting there right now, I'm like, I get, yeah, Thomas, like God, you know, Jesus, he calls people like Matthew, but you don't know my past, you don't know my secrets, you don't know the thing that's going through my brain right now. Fair enough, but I need to tell you that Jesus' grace is greater than that thing. What has been done to you, what you have done, the sins you have struggled with, Jesus is greater, and that is the gospel, and that is why Jesus is the most famous person to have ever walked this earth. Do you think the whole calendar of the world changed just because one little religious teacher did a decent job? No, God came in flesh and disrupted the world and said, listen, I love you too much not to let you know that you're redeemed and accepted by me. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest fact ever known. It's beautiful. And just like me and you, all are welcome to the table to dine with Jesus, to go have that party with sinners, at Matthew's house, we're all invited to that same table and the same gospel is for us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your um, gospel. Thank you for accepting us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I would just ask that in these moments as people are wrestling, God, I pray that, you would, that your voice would ring clearer than the lies, that the hope of the future in you would ring clearer than our past. Uh, Lord, I just ask for deliverance and healing and peace in the blood of Jesus. In your name, Jesus, have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name.